On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The text that you see that I've chosen is John chapter 20, verse 19 through 23. And the uh, context of that text had to do with the fact that Jesus had been crucified on Calvary and he had risen from the dead. And then in this text, it says that he appeared to his disciples. And he appeared apparently suddenly to his disciples because he said, peace, when he saw them. So if you can imagine, and you've probably had this happen to you before, somebody walks up behind you and you may be in a dark place and maybe uh, you're, you're in, a, in a room that you're unfamiliar with and somebody walks up behind you and says, hello. And then all of a sudden your, your hair stands up on the end and you get goosebumps and and uh, your eyes bug out. Well, that's what happened to these guys. They they were in a room. They were by themselves. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared. And Jesus said, calm down. He said, peace. That's the first thing he told them to do. Now, the word peace, does, that's what it means. It means uh, to be tranquil. It means to be harmonious. So that he was telling them to settle down because he said, it's me. And then he showed them his hands, his feet. And then he said it again. Then he said, I'm going to send you out as my father sent me. And he said, peace be unto you. What he's saying in the second time, the second point is, brace yourselves. I'm going to send you out to do something that's going to be disturbing to you and disturbing to other people. And he says in that same context, he, it says he breathed on them and said, he said, receive thee the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins that you remit, they shall be remitted. And whosoever sins you shall retain, they shall be retained. So he was giving them an enormous responsibility and one that would in all likelihood really stir up their conscience and say, well, can we do something like that? Can we tell people that, that their sins are remitted or they're, they're not, their sins are not remitted? And I'm sure what they were thinking of, Jesus had just been crucified is he going to tell us to go out and tell these people that they can have their sins remitted for what they just did? So he's saying, brace yourselves, calm yourselves in your mind, go out and do what I was doing. The Father sent me, now I'm going to send you. He told them earlier, of course, in a, in a more peaceful, tranquil situation. When they were on the mount with him, and uh, they, they had seen Moses and Elijah... And uh, Peter had said, we'll build you three tab. We'll build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you, Lord. And, and Jesus said, uh, the, God, the Father said, this is my beloved Son, who I'm well pleased. Hear you him. And then Jesus told the men, he said, he said, uh, he said I'm, I'm going to send you out, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There wasn't much of a turmoil in their mind at that time. 
But he made that statement to them. He said, you go out and you tell people, whatever you tell people, it's going to be solid. It'll be the truth. What you tell people is what I'm going to require them. And what you tell people you don't have to do, I'll lose it too. That wasn't quite as exciting as this particular point. Because at this point, Jesus had just risen from the dead. Just been crucified. Now something is going to change. He says, keep calm. I'm sending you out to tell people whose sins can be remitted and whose sins can't be remitted. Now, if somebody, if God gave you that responsibility, would that excite you? It would excite me. It would, it would make me wonder, wow, can I do that? What he's saying is peace. And what he's talking about when he uses the term peace, which is the harmony of the mind and the heart, when he's using that term, he means calm down, settle down, control yourself. But he says in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, let it not be afraid. So again, he's saying calm down, settle down, be tranquil in your mind and heart. In John chapter 16, 33, he'd already said that before, that the world is not going to give you this kind of peace. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So, we're going to use that, of course, as our jumping off place. And that is that Jesus has something that he calls peace that the world doesn't have. Now, our concept of peace is actually distorted by our image of peace. We generally uh, confine the word to describe a tranquil situation. Everything is smooth and soft and the music is quiet and everything is comfortable and blissful. No shouts of anger, no malicious words, no violent behavior. We define peace, basically, as a cessation of hostilities. If you go to the dictionary and you read the word peace, that's the first definition you're going to find. A cessation, stopping of hostilities. Now, that, and we usually use the word that way. We say, well, is there peace in the Middle East? Is there peace in your neighborhood? Is there peace in the city? And we have peace officers that are supposed to enforce the peace. We want a calm and we want a smooth environment where we can enjoy a complete unity of opinion. Unity of judgment, pleasant agreement with our fellow human beings. No ups and downs, no disagreements, no violation of your person. Undisturbed accord. That's what we think about when we think about peace. Jesus said he was going to give us peace, but we misunderstand that at times. That's why I want to mention this. Our understanding of peace is everything's going quiet down. It's like a daddy in a room full of kids that are just misbehaving and carrying on and making all kinds of noises. And he finally steps up and says, can't we have some peace in here? What he's asking is, let's calm everything down. Let's get everything calm. Let's shut down the noise. Let's shut down the conflict. Let's get everything quiet and peaceful in here. Now, that's, that's one of the concepts that we have about it. 
And many false teachers have gone out in the world saying that this is what Jesus came to do. He came to calm everything down, quiet everything down. He came to make sure that, that your neighbor is not going to be a noisy neighbor. He came to make sure that the guy that cuts you off on the freeway is not going to do that anymore. That the person that butts in line of you, in front of you at the grocery store, not, everybody's going to be peaceful because Jesus is going to enforce peace. And they take a text like Isaiah chapter 2, the first four verses, that ends up with the fact that he says, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. They shall not learn war anymore. Well, he's not saying I will beat their swords into plowshares. He's saying they will. So whoever is responding to the one who's making peace is the one that beats the swords into plowshares. So to think that Jesus is going to come back to this world, this earth, and enforce you to be a peaceful person is not taught in the Bible. It's not taught. He is, however, promising peace. Nor is it that somehow when Jesus arrives, and he has come, by the way, but in, in the thinking and teaching of some, and that is that somehow peace is going to just come upon you like a warm blanket. That you can be praying and praying and say, Lord, give me peace and pray and pray. Finally, this warm blanket will come over you and all of a sudden you'll get peaceful. Now that's how we like to think about peace and that's how we like to think about God bringing peace. That that, but that's really not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that, that peace is going to descend upon you like some aura warm aura or mist that settles over you and all of a sudden your mind settles down and you feel good and tranquil and harmonious and everything's fine with the world. Now that's not what the Bible teaches. And that's what we want to what we want to look at. The world says, well that's that's how peace ought to come. Well that's not really what happens. And so that that frustrates us. But God did say, and the Bible does say, and I think I'm talking to Bible believers. I'm not talking to somebody in the world because they would make fun basically of what I'm saying. They'd say, oh, that's, that's a bunch of hooey. It, that just won't work. There's no such thing as peace in Jesus. This, this world's not going to do that and you're, you're just making promises. I'm not really making you a promise and I'm not going to make you a promise at all of peace. Jesus made that promise, but I, I can't make that promise. But Jesus made the promise and God made the promise that there would be a quietness and calmness that could Affect your soul. You can be peaceful on the inside. You can be. Even with the world falling down around your ears, you can be peaceful. That's what the Bible says. Now, in Luke chapter 2 at verse 14, when the angels came to announce the birth of Jesus, you know what they said? They said, glory to God in the highest. That's because Jesus was in the manger in Bethlehem. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This certainly did not mean, as we learn later, that all conflicts or disharmony among men would be eliminated. Because we have other texts in the New Testament that tell us that that sort of peace was not going to take place. That God was not going to just quell everybody and make everybody peaceful, whether they wanted to be peaceful or not. 
Because in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Jesus said, Think not that I'm come to bring peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. So he, he said, I'm not, I'm not going to stop the fighting. I'm not going to stop the wars. But he did say there would be peace. And it says in, ch- in chapter 4 at verse 7 of Philippians, that the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. So there's a peace that passes human understanding. The world can't understand the peace that Jesus has promised. But it's there. Now, all the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament, we have 27 books in the New Testament. Four of these books were about the life of Jesus. One of these books was about the beginning of the preaching of the gospel of Christ, what we call the beginning of the church. That's the book of Acts. five books. So that leaves 22 books that are actually letters written to individuals and to churches. So we have, after, after uh, the book of uh, Acts, we have Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, so forth. And we have, we have 22 books. In, in 18 of these books, the writer starts out by saying, you need to get some peace. They'll say something like, grace and peace be unto you. You know what they're saying? Calm down. That's what the writer's saying to start with. He said, God loves you. He's giving you grace. You're okay. Now calm down. That's what he's saying. Now I know a lot of people may disagree with that, but I believe that's exactly what he's saying. There's only one book. Well, I, I should say this also, that the, the four books that do not start with the advocation to give you peace, uh, they, the, the other three of them actually include peace in their writings. But one book has nothing about peace, says nothing about peace. I mean not a word about peace. That's the book of Revelation. And when you open that book, there's some excitement going on in that book. And there's a lot of things that are happening that really stir you up and should stir you up. But anyway, that's the one book that doesn't say anything about peace. But the apostles and the prophets are saying, get peaceful, calm down. It's easy to identify the type of peace that is paramount to our needs. We need to calm down, really. We need to calm. We live in a tumultuous world. We're really in, in a situation where we're having a hard time just getting through a daily life without being upset about something. Upset about our family upset about friends, upset about our circumstances, upset about our jobs, upset about our future. Our, our mental turmoil has really gotten us down. And we, we have some disharmony in our hearts and in our minds. We need a calmness and a, harmless, a, a harmony to calm us down because we're losing our balance. Some call the disharmony of our heart anxiety. They call it anxiety. Mental distress, agitation of thoughts, jumbled ideas, emotional turmoil, apprehension over the future. You know what I'm talking about. You've been upset, and you you may be upset right now, may be upset by what I'm saying. 
But mental turmoil and emotional upset and disturbance is something that's, that's common to us. And there's a wide variety of reasons why we are not at peace within ourselves. There are, wide, there are reasons for that. And there are valid reasons. We could, we could be concerned over our finances. We, you know, some people live from hand to mouth. And when they don't make their living, then that's, that creates turmoil. And that's understandable. That's, that's, we, we know that. Some people are having quarrels in their family. They're, they can't get along. And, and somebody pouts over something that's said, and, and it, it disturbs the whole family. Friends say things to each other. Friends do things to each other. Neighbors do things to each other. Business failures. Anticipation of impending problems. Social unrest. Fear for our personal safety. All of these things disturb us. And you know what Jesus is saying? What the apostles said? Calm down. And you say, how can I calm down in the midst of this thing? Someone said, I was sent to drain the swamp, but how can I do it if I'm neck deep in alligators? The, we are we're having problems. There are all sorts of things going on. And, and Jesus said, calm down. Now there's an entire community of professionals and con men that market on our anxiety. You know that. I know that. There are books written. Read a book. They'll tell you how to get peace. Yoga. Practice yoga. That'll get you peace. Practice some sort of therapy. And so you have people having seminars to show you how to calm down and be quiet within yourself. People sell you candles so that you can spread candles around and, and have go through what they call aromatherapy. And then there's physical therapy. And then there's acupuncture. And there's all sorts of ways that people want to sell you things to get you to calm down. Come to my seminar and you'll learn how to deal with your problems. Read my book and do what I suggest and you'll calm down. You'll, you'll get peace within your life. And we, we know that's going on. You know, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that we are aware of the fact that we need peace and that people are promoting peace for us. Now the Bible... I believe, and I'm a practical guy. Those who know me know that. And I don't think that's bad. Obviously, I wouldn't think it's bad. But I don't think it's bad for you either. I'm practical. And I, when I look at the Bible, I say, well, I, I know there's a way that I can have peace. And it's a practical way. I know that Jesus, when Jesus came to this earth, He came to deal with me in my situation. My practical situation. Not in some, on some level up here that I can't reach. Not in an ethereal way. But he came to get involved in my daily life and say, Bill, I can help you get, this, get, get yourself together. I can take away your sins. I can give you a bright future. And brother, I can calm you down. Now, I believe that with all of my heart. That Jesus can calm me down. There is an inner calmness that I can claim as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I had a whole stadium of people who heard me say that, believers, I would hear a thunderous amen. Because Jesus can do it. 
question is, how does he do it? That's the question. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. In 2 Thessalonians 3.16 it says, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The, the peace that God bestows upon his children, the believers in Jesus, is obtained by an act, active pursuit. Again, the two ways the world thinks that Jesus can provide peace is, number one, he's just going to make you peaceful. And he's going to make your neighbor peaceful. He's not going to let that guy cut you off on the freeway. He's not going to let that guy mouth off at you and give you obscene gestures. He's going to stop all of that. So he's going to give you peace by making everybody behave. That's the one way. The second way is he's just going to blanket you with peace. You can, you can pray and you can get into a quiet situation and he'll just make life peaceful for you. But the Bible says if you want peace, you're going to have to go get it. You're going to have to get after it. It's just not going to come to you and it's not going to be superimposed on you. He's not going to calm you down forcefully. Nor is he going to blanket you with it. The peace that God bestows upon his children, the believers in Jesus, is obtained by active pursuit. It's not shadowy. It's not militant. It is, in the scriptures, obtainable, but you've got to go get it. Now, how do I know that? First Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, which is a quotation of Psalms 34 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil, or put away evil, and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. You know that word ensue means pursue. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Go get it. It's not going to come to you. Go get it. Okay. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Paul told Timothy this. 2 Timothy 2.22, he said, Flee youthful lust. Quit acting like a kid, he said. And, and grow up in, in, in the Lord. He said, Flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. Follow what? Follow peace. Go get it. Follow peace with them that call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. Romans 14 at verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace. Follow. Pursue. Go get the peace that God has for you. Go get it. It's not just going to come to you. You're going to have to go after it. Now let's get practical. Well, we're, first of all, Romans 14, 19 says... Let us follow after the things which make for peace and things whereby we may edify one another. Again, follow after peace. But let's get practical. We often get upset and we suffer from it. We suffer from getting upset. We do. When you get upset, it, it affects not only your heart and your mind, but it affects your physical body. You can get ulcers by being upset. You can actually get physically sick because you're disturbed. You're not calm. Jesus said, calm down. Quiet down. And the, all the apostles wrote and said, hey, 
Get calm. Cool it, we say. Chill out. Get calm. Why? Because Jesus knew we live in a tumultuous world. We live in a world that wants to disturb us. A world that's going to stir us up. A world that's going to make us what we don't want to be. Going to keep us upset all the time. Apart from physical impairments, you know, there, there are some people that can't calm down because they have a physical disability of, of some nature. And it may be that it's a chemical problem. And the doctor can help with medications. But for the majority of us, our mind gets bogged down in concern and worry and we get spun up with irrational thoughts. We do. We can't sleep. So we walk the floor. We're worrying about something. We're thinking about something. We have something on our mind. We can't get it off our mind. Either that or we go to bed and we won't get up. We don't want to face the next day. We just stay in bed all day. We slog around like we're half dead because we don't have a calmness. We don't have a harmony in our minds. We either can't eat or we eat too much because we're upset. We need to calm down. We, we either don't sleep or we sleep too much because we're disturbed. And as we said, physical illness is the product of disharmony of the mind and the heart, not the body, the mind and the heart. Broken minds and broken hearts are real killers. Heart attacks come from this business. And what Jesus said is, hey, I can calm you down. I can get you calm. Romans 3.17 says, the way of peace. Talking about the world now. And I'm going to talk to believers. The world says, that's, that's superstitious stuff. Jesus can't calm you down. And so, Paul said, the way of peace have they not known He's talking about the world. The world does not know the way of peace. But we know the way of peace. And instead of being ethereal about it, and vague about it, and mysterious about it, I'm going to tell you the practical aspects of it. I'll tell you how you can get it. Because I know the one who can give it to you. And his name is Jesus. You know the whole world, the whole world focuses on Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And there's a reason for that. Because he has the answers to every problem we have. Really does. Now I'm going to read a text. And I'm going to give you a application of this text that you may have never heard in your life. In Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Calm down. Why? Because we have someone called the Prince of Peace. Now, I want you to look with me. You may have not have looked at this text this way, but let me ask you to look, look at it with me this way. He's talking about, we know he's talking about the coming of the Son of God. And he says, the government should be upon his shoulders. Now, what he's talking about with this text is the qualities of the one who's coming. 
the character of the one who's coming. He's saying that he's going to be one who can govern the world, govern everybody. And he's saying his name shall be called Wonderful. That's a quality that he has. That's part of his character. A counselor. So he can, he can advise you. He's the best counselor in the world. He's the, he's the greatest counselor in the world. And again, that's a quality. The mighty God, that's his nature. That's who he is. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Now I want you to think, and I'm not, I'm not going to be disrespectful or irreverent here. I want you to think what that term Prince of Peace means. He's not talking about what he's going to do. These texts are not talking about what he's going to do. These texts are talking about what he is, who he is. Now, for, for illustrations of practical purposes, I want to tell you that Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he epitomizes peace. Think about it. Because when you see Jesus, you see a man of peace. Psalms 37, 37 says, Mark the perfect man, behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. So if I want to find a man who has peace, a, a man who exudes peace, I look at Jesus. Have you ever heard Babe Ruth called the Sultan of Swat? You may not have. But that was a term that was used. Babe Ruth was the best hitter in the history of baseball, played for the New York uh, Yankees. And they called him the Sultan, that was he's the ruler, the Sultan of Swat. Why? Because he taught baseball? No. Because he, he uh, represented baseball? No. But because he was the best hitter in baseball. Best home run hitter ever. The Sultan of Swat. He was the best one in that character. Best, best home run hitter that the world had ever seen. Have you ever heard Aretha Franklin called the Queen of Soul? Because she was the best singer of soul music. The best. When you looked at her and heard her voice, you said, hey, that's, that's, the, that's the best singer I've ever heard on soul music. How about Elvis Presley? You know what he was called? The king of rock and roll because of his singing rock and roll. Jesus is the prince of peace. Ha! He, he had peace like nobody else ever had. He's the best at it. He's the calmest that was ever around. I don't want to call him the coolest or the chillest, but he was the calmest. So when you look at Jesus, you say, hey, this man has peace. He's, he has peace. Now, in order for me to have peace, I need to look at Jesus and say, how did he get it? Let's make it practical. Why was this man peaceful? Why did he show, when he, when he walked into a room, how could you tell that he was in control of himself and had harmony within himself? How could you tell that? It just kind of came off his body like sweat out of your, his pores. It was just there. He was peace. He was the prince of peace. 
Just like Babe Ruth was the sultan of squat, Jesus was the prince of peace. So, practically, if I can find out how he got his peace, I can find out how I can follow after and get mine. Right? Does everybody agree with that? Isn't that true? If I can find out how he did it, and I do the same thing, can I have it? Sure. Okay. The first thing that we look at basically is, Jesus had peace. He had calmness. He had harmony within himself because he prepared himself for life. He prepared himself. Now when he, when he became, when he got to be 30 years of age, he didn't look back and say, oh gee, I wish I'd have done this, or I wish I'd have done that, or I should have done this, or I should have done that. I'm not ready for all the situation that's in front of me. I'm not ready. I wish I'd, I wish I'd have gone here. I wish I'd have gone there. I wish I'd listened to this guy. I wish I'd listened to that guy. He, no, Jesus prepared himself for life. And we know that because we, we pick up a little glimpse of him when he was 12 years old. A lot of people think that they need to get their children ready for life by sending them to the best kindergartens in the world. Or they send them to the best schools in the world. Send them to the best colleges in the world so they're prepared whether the kid wants to do it or not. They're prepared for life. And the kid may get up ready to go for life and say, I wish I didn't really didn't want to do that. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go this way. And they're unhappy. They don't like their, what they're doing. They don't like their job. They don't like their education. They don't like what's going on. But their parents said, they do that. And they're upset. They don't have any harmony in their life. Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he prepared for it. And in Luke chapter 2, they went to Jerusalem. The whole family went to Jerusalem on a family trip to, the, to one of the feasts. And Jesus stayed behind. And he was in talking to the rulers of the Israel. He was in the, in the tabernacle and in, in the temple. And he's talking to those who knew the law, the lawyers. And when the parents came to him, they said, Hey, why did you trouble us? And he said, Don't you know that I had to be about my father's business? He was getting himself ready for what he's going to do. So if you want harmony in your life, you better get ready for what you want to do. Get ready for life. Get ready for what's coming. Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was preparing himself for life. The next thing he did, he made certain that he was always on the right side of a moral and ethical question. And he wasn't afraid to stand on the right side of truth. He was always on the right side. If you're upset about life, you need to get on the right side of every issue that's right and good. If you're on the wrong side of an ethical question, if you're on the wrong side of a moral question, you need to make some changes. Get on the right side. Get on the moral side. Be in the area where you should be, and you won't be upset about what's going on. People may not like you for that. People may cast out your name for that. That doesn't make any difference. If you're on the right side of a moral and ethical question, stick it out. Stay there. You'll have peace. If you vacillate back and forth, you're not going to have any peace. In John chapter 8, verse 46, Jesus said, Which one of you convicts me of sin? 
tell me where I've sinned. Now, it may be that you sin. Okay, what do you do? The Bible says you repent of it. Get on the right side. You see what I'm saying? If you're in sin, admit it. That's what John said when he came to John the Baptist. He said, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what Jesus said. That's what the apostles said. You say, well, okay, I need to get on the right side of this question. I need to get on the right side of the moral issues or of the ethical issues. Acts chapter 2 at verse 10 says, Glory, honor, and peace to every man that works good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You will settle down in your mind if you're on the right side. If you're on the wrong side, you're going to be disturbed. You say, well, how do I know what's right and wrong? Well, it's not the mob that tells you. It's not the crowd that tells you. It's not those who are on the wrong side that are going to tell you. It's those that are on the right side. And it's the Word of God. If I want to know what's right and wrong morally, I look in the Word of God and I find it. And I say, okay, I'm going to take my stand there. And then I can be at peace. I don't have to worry about that. Now I know. I may lose my life for that. But so be it. I'm on the right side. And I'm, I'm, I'm alright with that. I'm okay with that. Jesus knew who He was. That's the third point. He knew who He was. You know, a lot of people go through this life not knowing who they are. They don't know who they are. They question themselves. Uh, but Jesus knew who He was. In, in the book of... Matthew in chapter 4, the devil came to Jesus. He, Jesus knew himself. Know yourself. <laughs> Shakespeare said that too, but Jesus said it first. Know, get to know yourself. Know who you are. Know exactly who you are. The devil came to Jesus and he said, if you are the Son of God, did Jesus say, well, am I? He knew who he was. He knew it was. The devil said, if you're the son of God, make this stone, turn this stone into bread. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus knew who he was. The devil was attacking his character and his being. A lot of us don't know who we are. And when we find out who we are, we're unhappy with who we are. You better get settled in that you better be happy with who you are. And recognize who you are and that you have value. That you have value in the sight of God and that you have value in your own eyes. And Jesus did. And the devil came to him again and said, Hey, if you think you're the son of God, uh, how about uh, getting up on top of the temple here in Jerusalem and throw yourself down let the angels swoop down and pick you up so everybody in the crowd can see you are the son of God. Jesus said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus knew who he was. The devil couldn't crack him. The devil couldn't say, hey, you're not who you think you are. Who do you think you are, bub? That was what the devil was saying. You're not the son of God. You're the son of God. Do something spectacular. Jesus said, I don't have to. I don't have to. He knew who he was. Then the devil said, well, come up on a high mountain with me. And he got him up there and he said, see all these kingdoms? They're mine. Follow me. Worship me. And I'll give you all these. And Jesus said, uh, you should worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. And the devil left him because the devil couldn't crack him. Jesus knew who He was. Find out who you are. If and I, I want to emphasize this: if you are not who you should be, make a change. 
If you are not who you should be morally, get right. If you're not who you should be ethically, get right. If you're not who you should be before God, make yourself right. And then once you know who you are, stick with it. Because that, that's, that's good. If you know who you are and you're doing the right things and you're standing on the, on the right with those who are right, if you know who you are, then that's good. The next thing Jesus did, number four, he did good. Jesus did good things. He didn't allow his enemies to detract him from his purposes and his own character. He disavowed disingenuous and disparaging remarks. People would come to him and say, you should not have been letting your disciples eat grains of corn on the Sabbath day. You shouldn't have been doing it. Jesus knew better. He didn't let those remarks stop him. They came to Jesus and said when he healed the guy that had, was lame in his arm, and he healed him, they, they came to him and said, hey, this is a Sabbath, you shouldn't have done that. Jesus said, hey, you pull your ox, your ass out of the ditch on the Sabbath day. Why can't I heal this man and do good? He didn't let their remarks stop him from doing what was right. What was good. Good things. He was doing good. He was helping people. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 says, How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and He went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. Now what I'm saying is that Jesus was peaceful. He had peace within Himself. Why? Because He was doing good and He didn't let anybody stop Him from doing what was good. And people are liable to want to do that for you. They want to disturb you. They want to make, they want to make fun of you if you're doing good. They don't want you doing good because they're not doing good. But Jesus went about doing good. So He had peace. And the next thing, number five, is that, uh, that Jesus knew human nature. He was not naive. You know who disturbs us the most? Our family and our friends and our neighbors, people closest to us. They disturb us. Jesus knew who man was. He, he was aware of human nature. How could Jesus be so calm knowing that he had an enemy in his camp. And he knew that, do you know what? He knew that old Judas was there. How, how was he so calm? Why didn't he become cynical? Why didn't he say, oh, this cursed human race? That's what Mark Twain said. This cursed human race. That's what he looked, that's how he saw it. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus knew that the world was under a curse, but He knew He could get out from under if they came to Him. Anyway, Jesus was calm. And it says in John chapter 2, verse 23, when He was, when he was doing good, Jesus doing good things. It says, when He was at Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in His name when they saw the miracles which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them because He knew all men and needed not that any man should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in man. Here's, here's what happens. We get all wound up. 
because somebody criticizes us. Somebody can disturb us. Our family can. They can make threats. They can, they can, uh, they can withhold their love. They can, they can make us feel bad. They can, they can do all sorts of things that keep our mind upset and our heart upset. Why wasn't Jesus upset? He knew what was going on. He knew what was man. He went ahead and gave his life for humanity, even though he knew what was in man. He knew that. He didn't. He didn't let that make him a cynic. He didn't. Let, he didn't say, "Well." Fully on them. I'll just go about and do what I want to do, and I don't care what they do. He didn't do that. He didn't lose. He didn't lose confidence in his fellow man, and he didn't let them upset him. So, I'm looking at Jesus, and I'm saying, Lord, help me not get upset when people betray me. You know, people are going to betray you. That's going to happen. Even the closest people around, they're going to betray you. You know why? Because the devil's at work. You need to know that. You need to know that it's possible. And no, yes, you can get your heart broken. Your husband can leave you. Your wife can leave you. Your children can despise you and leave you and call you bad things. This, this can happen. When people sit down at the devil's table and dine with him, they're going to put poison on your plate. So you can't you can't discount the fact that folks are going to get in league with the devil and the devil is going to get them to do something bad to you. You can't, you can't avoid that. It's going to happen. So what do you do? You say, well, I'll never eat with them again. I won't be around them again. I'll stay away from them. That's not what Jesus did. He stuck it out. You know, Jesus was with him until the very last minute. He was with him. And Jesus stuck with it, but he was calm. He was calm because he knew about this man and he knew his faults and he knew his failures. and He knew all of that, but he, did, he didn't let it stop him from going to the cross. And Jesus did what was right. Number six, he did what was right in spite of carping criticism and in spite of the dis- disapproval of onlookers and those who had high social and political standing, he did what was right. He always did what was right. How can you have peace? I'm telling you, if you do what is right, you need to be calm about it. Do what's right. Doesn't make any difference what anybody else is doing. Come with us, the gang says. Come with us. We're going to get get in some trouble. I remember when I was a kid. Come with us. We're going to rotten egg the principal's house. I didn't go. And I'm glad I didn't go. Come with us. We're going to go. I'm ashamed that I did go at some time to places I shouldn't have. And you know what? It has disturbed me all these years. It's bothered me. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't. Come with us. We're going to. Well, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do. But come with us. We're going to do it. I said, okay, I'll go. Did I have peace? No. I didn't do what was right. I did what was wrong with the gang because I thought, well... I don't want to be left out. I don't, I don't want to have to do rot. They're going to call me a goody-goody two-shoes if I do what's right. So I did what was wrong. And I suffered for it. And you have to. Don't look at me and cluck your tongue. You've done the same thing I did. You've gone when you shouldn't have. And you've done things you shouldn't have. You did not do what was right because you were going to be criticized if you did. Luke chapter 7 at verse 46 
The Pharisees had bidden him to a dinner, and they saw that this woman had come up, and she is washing his feet with tears and drying them with their hair. And they said, verse 29 said, if he had known who this was, if he had known who this was, he wouldn't let her touch him. You know what? Jesus didn't let that bother him. Didn't let it bother him. He did what was right with her. He certainly did. He always did what was right. So when we make a choice, maybe we need to stand with someone who's being abused. Maybe we need to stand up with those who are right. Maybe we need to stand on the side that's not popular. And we're going to find that more and more in this country. If, if you're going to stand with what's right, you're going to find yourself on the unpopular side of the aisle. But do what is right and you will have peace in your heart and your mind. The final one, number seven. Jesus trusted his Father. I know that a lot of you that are hearing my voice are having all sorts of turmoil in your hearts, in your lives. You can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't think, you can't get control of your emotions, you're just having a terrible time. And Jesus is the guy, Jesus is the one that can give you the peace you need. Of what I've been saying, he's the one that can do it. Make sure that you know what you're, prepare yourself for life. He, do all these things. Look at Jesus Christ, see what he did. He always stood on the right side of an issue. If you're wrong, quit it and get on the right side. Get on the right side. You say, well, I'm having problems because I did this and such. I shouldn't have done that to them. Well, then go make it right. Get it right. Make whatever you did wrong, make it right. And then you're going to have peace. But, but don't worry about it and be concerned about it. If, if, people are having, if you're having problems in your family or in your friends, in your neighborhood, do right. Do what's right. It won't make any difference what goes on in our life and in the world around us if we will follow Jesus and practice what He did because He had peace. And these are the reasons why He had peace. The last point. Jesus trusted His Father and relied upon Him to take care of whatever was in store for Him. Jesus finally came to the point and He asked His Father three times, Let's, let's not go to the cross. Three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before He died on the cross, He said, I, I really don't want to do that. And it was for several reasons, I'm sure. One was that, well, one was that it was, it was a terrible death. But the main one probably was that it was going to hurt His daddy. It was going to hurt His father. So, He, he said, don't, don't, let's not do this. And he, it said in Matthew chapter 14, verse 35 and 36, it said, He went forth a little while, fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Alba, Father, all things are possible unto you. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. There comes a time in your life, in your problems, where well, you're finally going to have to say, Lord, I do not know how I can resolve that problem. I do not know. And I can't see a way out. There is no way for me to understand and to know 
how I'm going to get past this. I don't know what's going to happen. I just don't know. At that point, you're going to have to do like Jesus did and say, you take care of it, please. Because I can't. I'm th- I can't. I can't take care of it. And I have to trust you that you can take care of it. Now, my friend, when you finally get to that point in your life and your mind is so distraught and your heart is so upset and things have gone so bad for you, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a society, whether it's in your neighborhood, whatever it may be, when you finally get to that point, you say, I I just can't handle this anymore. Maybe that's where you need to be. Okay, Lord, I'm giving it to you. You can handle it. That's what Jesus said. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You take care of it, please. And the Father did take care of it. Not the way that Jesus wanted. Jesus said, I don't want to go. And the Father said, I'll take care of it, son. I'll take care of it. And he went anyway. He took him. That's where you need to be. Peace. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He's the one. Put your eyes on Him and then pursue peace. Seek peace. Go after it. Go get it because it's there. It's not going to come to you. It's not going to sweep down over you. It's not going to be that God's going to make take care of your noisy neighbor. That's, that's not going to happen. He's not going to take care of the abusive driver. That's not going to happen. He's going to take care of you. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm going to do like you did because I know you had peace. You're the Prince of Peace. Help me, Lord. Thank you. God help you do exactly that. Thank you.